More Real, a podcast about real people for real people. I wanted to create a space where I share my true feelings and those of my guests about what it's like to live in today's world. The challenges we face and how we deal with them, or don't. What about all that stuff that's just not said but should be? You know, the conversations that we really want to have but don't. What do we really think and feel? What about our regrets, the dreams that we have and the stuff we should be doing but we don't? Each week, I'll be here talking to real people about real life. This is a very honest look at life and hopefully, by listening, it will help you to have a better understanding of yours. Wow, this was a great conversation with Jeremy, who's very vulnerable and talks about his feelings and the courage of being so open and honest. We discuss why men find it so challenging to be vulnerable and why adults are still really children. He talks in detail about his work as a relationship therapist, a sex therapist and a sexological body worker. This was incredibly fascinating as I didn't even know some of these jobs existed. I learned so much which has ultimately changed the way I see the world. I truly hope you enjoy our conversation as much as we did. Hi. Hi, thank you. How connected are you to how you feel? Great question. I like that. Just lead straight in the guts of it. How connected am I to how I feel? I think it varies. I went to a quick story yesterday. I had the day off. I, I decided to have a, a sick day. I was a little bit sick. My throat was sore. I was having a date later in the day. So I was like, I'm going to go get my nails done and go to the nail shop and get a pedicure. So I walked down the street. There's a place I've been to a few times and I'm sitting in the chair doing my nails. It's all good and fine. And then I hadn't noticed there was a lot of this Vietnamese love songs playing. I think they're love songs, just like this really cheesy, syrupy music playing. And I was reading a book and I was just crying. And just really lovely tears, not the kind of ugly face like, like tears. It was really just like, wow, look, I'm crying. And I realized it was because I loved my children so much. And I, I'd seen a father and daughter engaging the day before and I just was so full of this emotion of how wonderful my kids are and how great it was to parent them and just had this beautiful, very gentle crying sitting, getting my nails done. Not being too sure if I was okay with the people who were around me witnessing this funny looking guy <laughs> crying in the nail shop for no reason you know there was, I mean there was reason but it was not like something bad had happened or anything of my environment I think it was the, the combination of someone touching my feet and this music quite stirred by what I was reading and I just felt deeply and then blasted out a few messages to loved ones and just told them how much I loved them and how grateful I was and and is that typical I think that was a higher rating and more vivid. You know, there was a physical, like there were tears. But it's been my practice for a long time to feel deeply, to lean into the discomfort or, you know, feel the feels, whatever you call it. And, and, and feeling love is easier than feeling like pain, hate, shame, anger, disgust, whatever. Yeah, I feel I'm pretty connected to my feelings. The connection is not the tricky bit for me. The, the tricky bit for me is being okay with what we call the negative ones. I'm sad or I'm lonely or I'm scared. You know, they're, they're harder. And how often do you, is that just a regular, like anybody else? Or do you get it more strongly 
those than the positive I'm, ones? I think I'm pretty even. You know, it's kind of sort of a little bit compounded by being a therapist. There's some kind of sense that we should be more stable. So when I wobble, I not only am I wobbling, but I'm kind of berating myself a little bit of like, you should have this better, Jeremy. And then the amount of people I can reach out to is slightly diminished because I support a lot of people. And it's not quite easy to, if you're supporting folk, to then go to them and say, hey, can you support me? It doesn't always work. But I had this, for a few years, I've had this situation of waking up and being really sad. And I've lived alone for a while. And I was waking, very self-critical talk, uh, tears, loneliness, fear. About three weeks ago, I started microdosing with mushrooms, with psilocybin. And I don't like using the word healed, but it's not happening anymore. And I've stopped taking the mushrooms. I had about two weeks of that every day, and now I wake up and I'm okay, which is very strange. I can't explain it. And do you got no explanation as to why, what brought it on, even? No, I was doing all sorts of inquiries. It was like, was it my dreams? Was it like from alcohol? Was it from coffee? Was it from what I was eating? Was it what I was thinking? Like, I, I really don't know. I had it for so long. If I, went, if I woke up with another person in the bed, I didn't have it. But when I woke up alone, I felt really... And I would often go to bed happy, like loving being in bed alone, and then wake up really sad. And it was really strange. And it would diminish during the day. Like I'd get, by the time I'd get to work, and some people would say, oh, how are you? And I'd say, well, to be honest, you know, I, this is really shitty. You know, I'm actually suffering. Not suffering, that's too strong. But yeah, just feeling strange things. And then to add some content to this, there's a podcast called Invisibilia. I don't know if you've heard of that. And they had this episode about a year ago where they were talking about this new theory that we don't have feelings. Have you heard this? No. It's fascinating. I don't know if there's research around or it was just... There's only one episode, or two actually. And it's an idea that we have body sensations. And because we love putting names to things, if we have a sensation, we may call it anger. But it may actually be a physiological experience for our body, but because we in our culture love putting names to things, we go, ah, that sensation is called this thing, love or sad or whatever. So when I was having all these morning things, I could actually distance myself from it. Like I could have it and be aware of it and feel it, but not be attached to oh, it means this, or I should not not have it, or, and it was much easier to get that it would pass, you know, other sensations would come, or other feelings would come, and that would be okay. So it was more like carrying a backpack around and just going, oh, look, I'm wearing this backpack, and now I can take it off. When you're carrying how that felt, to not, if you're with someone, to burden them with that? I could share it. I didn't feel like it was a burden. Mm. And I, and I think in a longer answer, I've spent the last two decades working on this product, this project of me, you know, like my personal development and inner world has been a thing I've been cleaning and polishing daily, you know, that like I'm not a world-class surfer or I'll never be great at ballet, but I'm pretty good at me. So go on now, that's a very leading question. So I then go, okay, so how have you done that? Two decades of doing what? 
many things always in many different ways. <laughs> Give me some examples. Well, okay, what would be the what would be the hand, what would be the standout things you'd say to me? Because again, people listening to this will go, okay, yeah. that's fascinating. What does yeah. he do that? Well, I think a multifaceted approach is important. I don't think you can go to therapy for every day for ten years and then get the outcome. It'll do some of the work, but it actually requires to come at different angles from it. So. Like in the last few years, I would have seen therapists, hypnotherapists, acupuncturists, had that experience with the, with the mushrooms. I would have had other plant medicine. I would have had other kinds of body work. I would have had sexological body work. I would have done group work. I would have had trained, like it was like all the things. It can't just be one single kind of modality with a single practitioner. All of those, that's a lot of things. Yeah. You've obviously tried them before. Yeah, well, a lot of the people around me are practitioners of very interesting, different things. Like about two years ago, I had a relationship with a person and they said to me, hey, Jeremy, there's this thing in your blind spot. You really need to look at it because it's messing up our relationship. Go off and do some work. We're going to have tap out of this relationship for a month. I'll see you in a month. Do some work. I was like, okay, great. And you weren't threatened by that, challenged by that? Yeah, it was all of that. Yeah, that was hard. That's that's like bitter medicine is when someone you love says there's a bit of you that they don't like. And I had to trust that they could see parts of me better than I could because I was so used to these habits, these relational habits. And so I messaged 20 of my friends and said, hey, I need your support now. What can you What can you offer me? And about a dozen or so came back and went, yeah, come around for a session of this, come around for a session of this, let's do this, and did some remarkable work. And if you don't mind me asking you, what was the thing that you were being told that oh, was... Oh, it was my mother, of course. <laughs> no, that's like, that's the... <laughs> the symptoms were needy, tantrumous, demanding, being fearful, insecure, just uh, relate, standard relational things, but... A child's version of it. I was an adult, you know, as a 46-year-old person acting out as a three-year-old. And you were doing that often or there were times when, because I can say the same thing to you, I behave, I know there are times where I respond mm. in a situation like a little boy mm. and I'm now aware of that response mm. and it's not appropriate and I need yeah. to be a man, an adult yeah. and respond in that way. Not daily, no. <laughs> No, I can't tell you the frequency. Enough that, that this person I was with said, you need to look at this. I did, and it was remarkable. And, you know, some people just held me. I had a session with someone who is a very nurturing, mothering kind of person who just said, okay, your medicine for today, Jeremy, is I'll hold you. And we had like an hour or so session of being held, and it was profound and healing and transformative and, you know, took another layer off my pain. Yeah, I did a whole lot of things. And I, no, I'm not, you know, finished, polished, healed, cured, enlightened, whatever. I'm still a fucked up little being that I am. And I have, if we're going to talk about little boy, you know, like I have a way better relationship with little Jeremy who is still around, you know, still here and still wants certain things, but the awareness is greater. So I can... I can see it when it's happening and go, oh, that's that. Whereas before it was unconscious. It was just like acting out, being triggered, tantruming, not knowing why, demanding things, making a mess of the house and just 
feeling entitled by my own shabby behaviours. Why you act out in a little child as opposed to being more of an adult? We're born that way. <laughs> I think we... I don't... I mean, I work as a therapist and I every day sit with people who are distressed. That's my profession. 95% of the distress is their inner child, is their family of origin, is being or a perception of abandonment, neglect, rejection, and the variations of that. And this is the default factory setting. We, you know, leave our family of origin and the majority of folk, I know one or two people who aren't crumpled from their families, but most of us get stuck in places. I mean, Freud, who we don't, about that much set up this notion of development the anal oral genital which isn't that important but what he said was if if you if you don't graduate from one of your levels then you're stuck there until you heal that bit and then you can graduate from the next bit like if you don't sort out finger painting in kinder then you shouldn't go to primary school well you can't well that's an analogy <laughs> no, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so to answer the question we all just act out I mean, my father is 80. He's operating from a five-year-old place. He's never looked at his stuff. He's never wanted to figure out why he's angry, why he's sad, why he relates in this way or that way. He, people just assume that chronological age means emotional maturity. It doesn't. I can distinctly look at a person and know their emotional maturity irrespective of their age. And the quality I look at in people or partners and relationships is I want to be around emotionally mature people. So tell me, how do you do that? How do you know? Yeah. Being responsible for your behaviours and actions is the key indicator. So some people will blame. They'll point the finger and they'll say, you did this to me. You hurt me. You got that wrong. You're mean. You're, you know, whatever the accusations are, which our ego loves. Like our ego wants the other wrong and we're right. But actually, paradoxically, it's the other way around is the ego's wrong, <laughs> stupid, it says ridiculous things to protect itself. And generally, if we can say it's a mature gesture to say, I feel hurt. I am scared i you know i i made up a story in my head that when you told me this thing that i interpreted as this thing and that's immaturity or ignorance or, or privilege or entitlement or whatever you know our weird thing is whereas truly mature people will pause like something will happen they can pause reflect and then speak or act or not with with a wisdom and with a perspective of their own role in a dynamic. And that's a great answer. And that resonates with me completely. Have you been in a, in a relationship where you haven't listened to your own advice? Always, every day, still. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm, like I will say many times, just a fucked up little human like everyone else, but a, a person who's fascinated by relationships. Like my key topic of conversation is relationships. 
after that sexuality and then after, yeah always one constantly intrigued on how i relate to others and how others relate to others and so with the relationships then you talked about kids you had kids from a marriage from a yeah. partnership from yeah. a yeah i was married and have two now teenage children and so the person you were then compared to the person you are now, completely different people, person there. And my ego would, you know, I'd love to sit here and say, <laughs> it was all because of her. No, I like, I was a messy human. She was a messy human. There's a time when we were able to stick band-aids on our messy. And then there was a point where she said, I don't want to live with you anymore. How did you, how did that make you feel? If you feel you, you're connected with how you feel, mm. is that awful and terrible? For a week, it was really bad. Like, I was really shaken. I, my identity was husband. My identity was family. I was probably doing relationship work then. So, you know, my identity was I'm an expert in relationship and really got knocked over. And then after a week, I was like, wow, this is great. I'm free. This is so good. I like this. So I loved. And then I got a perspective of seeing that that relationship we were incompatible in many ways. We'd... When the parenting project had diminished, we, we, we just didn't have the commonality of the parenting and we had quite different values and goals and styles and it was, it was good not to be together anymore. It was 17 years. I did used to have a value that you know perseverance and relationships should be forever and I was really invested heavily in that and I would still be in that relationship if, if my wife had not said, I don't want to do this. And so how do you feel about that now then, given the way you are now compared to... I mean, it's a bit of an intangible thing to know because mm. your life would be different, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. Mm. But What if I'd taken the other part? Yeah, the yeah. Other part? Like, know. you know, given what you know now, you just squashing that all down and just... I mean, like, I'm, no, that's right. I review constantly that relationship and all relationships I've been in. And even, you know, the ones I'm in currently, I, I have a few people in my life and... You know, lovers and friends and you know, there's many relationships and I'm constantly reviewing them. Marriage, I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm just like, okay, that happened. Good stuff, bad stuff, stuff. Spoke to my wife yesterday when I was having that teary thing, you know, told her how teary I was, sent her a text and then we had some chats later and um, I, I, you know, I, I think trying to redo the past or wish it was different or is a waste, like it's done. That's just the past. Okay. Learn from it and move on. And so going back to the whole family that you talked about before, why are people so messed up by it? What's wrong with the way that families work? Does it mean that, as you said, people go to therapy because they're still a child and they're so affected by what happened in that, that period? There's a few elements. One is historical, ancestral, like... For instance, like my mother's family are Holocaust survivors. Now, that's deep trauma. Like that's just not paper cuts. That's like her ancestors were murdered by Nazis. Like that's just, there's no way to come out of that unaffected. That's intense. And so she's affected by that. And I'm affected by that. Because because of... Is that you're saying genetics or learnt? Just you kind of hear stuff that's talked about, or you just say it's intrinsically part of who you are? I don't think it's genetic. I mean, I'm not, I know people talk about epigenetics and genetics, and it's like, no, it's not. I mean, it's possible, but I can't show that, so I don't know. But 
I, I mean, I loosely use the word crumpled, bruised. You know, there's diagnostic labels like PTSD or BPD or whatever, but intense trauma and distress, you, you can't just put it in the washing machine and wash it out and come out clean. Like, it requires a lot of work to take that out of the body and out of the mind. And then, you know, like, you know, my mother's family arrived in Australia as migrants with a suitcase or refugees, I'm not too sure. But, you know, so like my mother arrived in Adelaide as a five-year-old with no English and went straight to school and just suffered because of her past and her, her parents' suffering. And like, you know, that, that, that is passed on to some degree. So I do know some people who had happy childhoods, but they're few. Why, why does this happen? I mean, culturally, we also have just, as a society, bad habits. For my, and I think your generation, there was a notion that, you know, like controlled crying, say, you know, as a parenting strategy, that you just let a child cry till it gives up hope. That's an awful thought. <laughs> like, in, now I look at that and go, that's fuck, that's awful. Like, if I saw a child crying, I would hold it and care for it and nurture it. So we were given some quite stern, you know, parenting habits. And so now, I don't know if you know attachment theory. Yeah. So, you know, we're more aware now. So we'd know that if our small people get secure attachment, they're more likely to be happy and have good relationships. I'm insecurely attached because of how my parents were. And, you know, on my father's side, they're also migrants and and also have escaped anti-Semitic background through Eastern Europe as well. So... My parents did their best and with the philosophy and the societal things that they were taught. I don't think they were great parenting styles. Controlled crying is like, just as an example, is just going to make really isolated and maybe depressed and maybe anxious and maybe shut down children and then adults. Do you have any resentment towards your parents for the way they parented you? Totally. Always, yes. Yeah. I'm just, I, I mean, I say to my children, I know you're going to resent me later, so could you tell me the thing that you're going to resent me about now so I could work on it? And they're just like, oh, God, that's, that's absurd. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I certainly do, and I've spent you know decades also just processing that. Can I, except they did their best. They weren't malicious towards me. Like, they didn't think, ah, we're going to get this kid. Like, they weren't intentionally mean they just did their best with the resources that they had and their backgrounds and their skills and their education and and i resent that they weren't more of this and less of this and did do this and didn't do this and i think it's standard though i'm sure my kids will come to me at some point and go oh dad you should have you loved us too much you know you you you, you would, there was too much secure attachment you, you could have left us alone more or i don't know whatever you know like <laughs> Can't imagine it, that, but it, I get what you mean. It's a lose-lose parenting. I, yeah. I, I don't think you can do it right. I still question my parenting now. I'm parenting teenagers and it's like, well, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. Well, when you say, I don't know how to do this, you're right. There's no rule book that says, here you go, Jeremy. This is how you parent. Mm. So what, what do you use as your kind of like, what, I mean, what feels right to you then? I check in with them. Like I'm seeing them. I don't live with them now, so I'm seeing one next week and the other the week after. And I'll say to them, how's this going? How's my parenting? Give me some feedback on, would you like more of something or less of something? I check in with my friends who have either 
older children than mine or younger children than mine and see if there's new kind of technology, not technology like, I don't know what you call it, programs, insight, information, education. And then people have older, like young adults. And and then I reflect on my own experience of when I was a child. Then I reflect on my experience of what I'm now because I have two parents and watch how they're parenting me. And I read and I listen and I hope I can do my best with my shitty resources and my crumpled, bruised, weirdo character and ego and yeah. And so you, you're saying to me then, you're very open, right? You're having this conversation and you're telling me exactly, who, I get exactly who you are. Yeah. And I'm, from what you said, you surround yourself with people like that. And yet there are so many people who aren't like you are. Yeah. And struggle to accept this is who I am and you know what? Okay, so how are you able to be so open? It takes courage. And we're generally fearful. I mean, I'm still fearful, but other people see me as courageous. And take some courage to be vulnerable. You probably know Brene Brown and her TED Talk. You know, she's like, be vulnerable. It's like, yeah, good concept, but it hurts and it's scary to share more, open your heart more, love more, risk more. Like, we fear that. We fear having our heart broken or being rejected. Rejection is one of, is like massive archetypal fear for all people. If I say something weird, if I say the wrong thing, you'll you individually or you as a culture will reject me and there's a deep thing of like the tribe and being in the tribe and not being cast out into the desert and whatever Uh, fear to me is a signpost like if there's a sign saying fear this way that's like yeah go that way and it requires courage and i've had a whole lot of experience in my life where i've intentionally chosen difficult things and whether that's like ordeal ceremonies or getting piercings or tattoos or having to admit someone I'm wrong or you know apologizing for something or being in a situation where I feel shit and just being with it rather than trying to avoid it escape it medicate myself placate myself whatever so I think courage is really critical yeah most people are really fearful or scared and so why would you seek out, you said, oh, I've got courage, which isn't, I can get that from you completely. And you said, oh, I've, I've always chosen the thing that's difficult. Why do you? Well, I, I think I'm reactionary against my parents who hadn't, did not pass. They didn't, they valued very traditional things like good education, being professional, uh, financially stable, stable relationships, family. They never really passed on much about interpersonal skills. As I got older, I just saw the void of like, wow, I don't know how to relate to people. I'm shit at this. I want to work on this. I want to be a great communicator. Growth is in the out of the comfort zone. Yeah, what's that cliche? We 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 grow by challenge and ordeal and what I call it like an abrasion. Like you make you sharpen a knife by rubbing it on something coarse, like on a on a stone. I think the people who I admire have had hard times or faced challenges. So like my father says the greatest gift was when he got cancer. Like one of the most, I don't know, transformative or pivotal moments of his life. But that's counterintuitive. And I'm sure at the time he was like, oh God, why me? (laughs) Why am I having this challenge? But ultimately he grew from it. He got perspective and he realized his strengths. And so I think... 
fear and courage and challenge are important to us. And traditional societies had that. Indigenous folk had rites of passage, you know, go out into the desert and kill game or, you know, live on your own or do whatever. Our society is very risk adverse and very much about safety and kind of being comfortable. But people, you know, get sacked or their partners leave them or they get really sick or they have an accident or those things will happen to us sort of by accident. But they're important. We had a conversation before the podcast about men not being able to be open typically and as you are and how you've just talked about. And I, I can understand why, although I think it's, I'm English, but in Australia I think it's worse than a lot of other places because you have to be a real man and there's a perception of how an Australian man should be, which doesn't sit, I don't think, well with a lot of men. You're nodding, so I'm guessing you're agreeing with what I'm saying, but what, what would be your take on maybe the people some do i mean i live in a bubble and i live in like in north melbourne and a lot of the people around me are men who are in men's groups or who are in therapy or who are therapists or you know who are doing what we call the work or attending gatherings you know like i helped start that energy gathering that's 200 or so men who get together for a weekend and do workshops and 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 open to each other was the question, why don't they, or what should they do, or both? Both. I'm more interested in, you know, collectively, the Australian man. What, what's... And I don't think it's just the Australian. I think it's men in yeah. other countries would be the same, but... Yeah. We're just not taught... We're not, it's not modelled to us, for one. Like, my father was mostly absent. He was a workaholic. Uh, he was a small business, self-employed, and would do 14, 16-hour days, six days a week lots of overseas travel he just wasn't around i just i didn't get any example of here's how to be an open man like that wasn't an option there was no model there was like here's how to do it by not being here emotionally physically in any way like be a provider that was it that was the only model i was given so i don't think we have great modeling from the generation before us and then currently i think yeah it's vulnerable i think if we put it as a gendered way women are more encouraged to share and speak and have circles or connect more about emotions and relationships and men are more fearful of that they may be more courageous of doing construction work and doing like dangerous jobs or something with you know danger with your body but very fearful of of heart-based conversations or heart-based relationships and being loving and open why is that that's a too big a question to answer and i don't even know if it's that important i'd be more interested in like remedies or, or programs or options for People my age and younger people. I mean, with my son, he's 16. Last time we hung out, we went gold prospecting. We hired a metal detector and went out bush and also took a crossbow and took some shots at bunnies and camped in our swags and had a ridiculous, hilarious, adventurous time cooking together and laughing and driving. And, and you know, with my daughter, it's a, dip, a little different, but... I just want to be present with them and real and authentic and vulnerable. 
what other men should do? I don't know. Courage is one. I think it's a bit tricky in the light of patriarchy and feminism because a lot of men don't know about privilege. And if you don't know about the privilege, then it's it's the majority of behaviours are unconscious. What do you mean by privilege? Because of patriarchy, men have more voice, more power, more income, more strength, more anything, really. Um, more many things, you know, more access to education, more access to careers, more, more space, you know, in public places men will speak more and more often and have confidence and have a belief just in that I'm entitled to say whatever I want and do whatever I want because I'm a man and and that's actually you know prohibitive in a way to what you're kind of describing which is to be real and vulnerable and honest is I can just muscle my way not physical muscle but just like emotional muscle to be avoidant really and avoidance is is our strategy you know by discussing footy and cars by or talking about work these are avoidant things by going to work is avoidant um, they're endless being busy watching sport i don't know i don't even do the things but i can't remember what they are but but you know being avoidant is a great strategy to avoid being tender and 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 saying risky things risky love things or risky feeling things but the power attached to as you would know and i would as well of being vulnerable hmm. and what you get back hmm. is tra- is transformative sure but someone needs to tell you that or model that or rub your face in it like i had elder people my elders who just kicked me beat me not literally, but you know, like forced me past my numb armor of my heart and encouraged and dragged and pushed me to open, you know, to tear open the bars of my heart when I didn't want to and to, to really show up as me as this naked, fragile, wonky, scared, inequipped fool to be honest and that came a lot through circle work you know early on the the first personal development work i really did was being in the circle with men and seeing and sitting with elders or younger people and screwing it up like constantly getting it wrong and trialing ways of engaging and being risky and trusting and surrendering and what do you mean by getting it wrong yeah give an example of getting it wrong (laughs) So quite a while ago, I was in a men's group, which I think was called Meeting at the Edge or Men at the Edge. I can't remember. And the acronym was MATE, which is funny. Wild. It was really, there were eight of us and we, I don't know what the protocols were, but there was sort of like no punching in the face or something. It was like, it was really like, there was a lot of wrestling and hitting each other and name calling and calling each other out and holding each other to account and just and so how did but how did that situation arise where that would happen someone says something to somebody else or i remember so we had a kind of protocol that we had a talking stick and and generally you know talking stick means like 
The person who's holding it speaks and everyone's silent. And I remember one time, classic, we're in Warren Dye in a yurt and <laughs> someone had a talking stick and someone else would have said something like, oh yeah, or I agree or something tiny. And I just remember just like, acute just like at them just like a dog just like acute like that's not okay you can't say that and they're like yes i can and then we'd end up wrestling and i was always coming home with like carpet burns on my elbows and knees because we were just like fighting physically with our bodies to i don't know what like make a point or something i, I know, know. And so what's going on with everybody else in the, in the circle everyone's like accepting oh, that's yeah that's oh, what we do here dog piling or tearing <laughs> us off each other or uh, but cheering you, but, but, or but you came away afterwards going yeah that was yeah that's okay well or did you go mm, okay maybe this isn't quite what so we picked up a protocol as well which is at the end of each session the the kind of host person would say are you at peace with your brothers everyone had to with full integrity honestly say yes i am or no i'm not and if it was no i'm not then there was some protocols of like well who are you not at peace with and why and it had to be sorted out we could not leave no one could leave until this was sorted and sometimes that meant more conflict and sometimes it meant tears and sometimes it meant apologies and also you know like seeing our own shit and and seeing why we're triggered was because oh you know something my parents something something or my partner or i'm stressed or i'm whatever and owning it so ultimately good but i know there are still people who resent me for the intensity of how i was then uh, who felt scared to be in such an intense environment. And so were you intense at that time or the environment made you intense? So I think it, a lot came, I was starting to go to men's gatherings in Queensland and I'd flown up there and one year went up and there was a workshop, which was a day workshop was to learn the haka, the Maori war dance. And we learned from a person who'd been initiated by Maori folk we learnt the words in Maori and we learnt it in English and we learnt the you know the philosophy and the meaning and we learnt the dance and we practiced and we practiced. And part of, of the I remember one part was we were lined up in two rows facing each other, like centimetres away from the face of the other man, and the teacher said, Look at that person like you would kill them. That was the instruction. You know, make those wild like you know, like those wild but like just channel hate you know to that person because it's a warrior's dance you know that the that was the intention of what this dance was created for and i came back to melbourne with this passion with this just don't cross me i'll kill you this intensity and was that purely from do you think it was an underlying thing in you that you were quite an intense person and that was just a catalyst, or you were that was completely down to that, or you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is a long time ago, and so yeah, I brought that. You know, it was like someone had given me a sword. I just wanted to wave it around and hit people with it. And I had no training in sword use, just whacking anyone with it. I had no control. And then I remember one day a colleague said they described some samurai kind of protocol which said you should only draw your sword if you're going to kill someone with it. 
and that kind of tempered me a little bit. I was like, okay, you know, I could tolerate some things, but if I was in a circle and I thought someone had really done wrong, I would just go them. I don't know why we're talking about this. this is no, no, talking. but I'm fascinated by because then I'm going like, okay, Fuck, but- fucking it up with courage and getting <laughs> yeah, it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Do you look back on it now and think, yeah, that was great? It's like, have you ever seen puppies play? Like puppies learn a lot, or dogs learn a lot by just nipping each other and rolling around and falling over and banging their heads. And we were puppies. We just had no idea what we were doing. We just no one was guiding us. We were just finding where the edge was and the best way to find the edge is to go past it and then you're like oh that's the edge right cool okay so we were just going to the edge that was powerful and some people hate it they'd come to our group and they go wow i don't want to do this This is awful you people are just hitting each other or being rude to each other or or mean and insulting intense you've got to be a certain kind of person who is up for that for sure yeah yeah it was very stirring. I didn't always want to go to that group either. You know, I was like, but we showed up. You know, there was an importance of show up and follow through. That's also a kind of courage value. It's not just do something once and then think it's too hard and go home. It was like, you know, you show up and it's hard and you show up again and you follow through. And that that is like, I don't know, paying your dues or an ordeal of fire or whatever you call it you know we just had to do hard stuff over and over it was a dis- it was like the dojo you know it was like sparring with each other and so do you think that kind of environment albeit that was an extreme is would be good for men i think so much later 2019 it's a bit not problematic but there's so much nuance to the word use of the word man and gender so i currently work with a lot of queer folk and a lot of people who are trans and non-binary and they're really blurred for me what are we saying when we say men because there are some people who have penises who don't identify as men and there are some people who have vulvas who identify as men and there are some people who have all sorts of anatomy and identifies all sorts of things gender is a social construct so just your anatomy is not going to tell you what your gender is and we're assigned gender at birth based on our anatomy, but it mightn't be accurate. Is it okay to, to say this? No, so it's a good answer. Like, yeah, right, you're right, so. you're right, because the thing is all I'm doing is I'm just giving you a very stereotypical, well, that's a man. But now yeah. you quite really said, well, you've given me your answer. It's a good answer. Yeah, and I'm less clear than ever about how I would identify my gender. You might read me as man, but I don't really see myself as that. It's low enough on my priority list to not have to describe my gender to you. And I wouldn't actually be all that good at describing my gender to you, but it's not a neat box that's called man. Because it's too one-dimensional? It's yeah, too... yeah. And I just know, I mean, philosophically, that it's a social construct. I don't necessarily need to be as narrow as the binary that says you're this thing or you're that thing. I don't think I'm one thing or the other thing. I'm many things. And so go on, give me, so when you say you're many things, what would those many things be? I don't love the language, but sometimes I feel a lot more feminine and sometimes a lot more masculine. And then sometimes neither thing 
and sometimes I'm really flamboyant and sometimes I like a lot of color and sometimes I don't like any color. Sometimes, you know, I'm super open, loving, nurturing, and then sometimes shut down and mean and grumpy and trying to think that some of the qualities that humans have are ascribed to certain genders, I think is not a helpful thing to consider. That you do relationship counselling? Yeah. And you do sexual? Yeah. Is it sexual counselling? Is that what's the uh, sexuality counselling? Sex therapy. Sex therapy. Mm. So, okay, I don't know what that is. I mean, I could say, oh, um, does that mean I come to you and I'm having trouble with my partner having sex? I'm sure it's a lot more than that, so that's why I'm asking the question. So I have a whole bunch of qualifications. I've got four qualifications. I spent a decade in tertiary and then some other qualifications and then lots of skills so i just say to people now just dial me up to the version you want me to be but mostly the things i do are relationship work which is talk therapy so talking like this <laughs> yes like this is. but uh, and, and face to face yes yeah yeah uh, and online but yeah sex therapy which is mainly around sex and sexuality and then there's this other thing called sexological body work which is a modality that involves touch and bodies do we want to do this one at a time? Yeah, go on. I'm okay, fascinated we'll, we'll leave now. the last one because that's the most complicated. So relationship counselling is generally people not understanding each other. And I'm an interpreter or a mediator or a referee to or more people of whatever genders and attractions, sexualities, will come and sit here and I'll sometimes help them to hear each other that's pretty 101 version sometimes you skill them up Uh, sometimes it's coaching so sometimes people come in and go we've got a great relationship and we want to be greater i was like yeah let's do that so sometimes it's not even therapeutic it's educational and i've got a whole lot of lessons i don't know like skills to pass on to people to have really great relationships it's a funny one relationship counseling because it's quite unpredictable and it's very customized to those people, often those two people, of what they need. And often it's about you know their backstory, how they were parented, and how they perceive relationships to be. And there's, there's so many dynamics because there's three people in a room. It's more complicated than one-to-one. And sex therapy can be done with couples or individuals. And sex therapy, yeah, is trying to figure out. Often libido mismatch is like the key thing. Someone wants more and someone's less. Sometimes it's educational like it might be about anatomy and talking about technical things of sex sometimes it's about gender talking about how people identify it can be many things but it kind of hovers around our sexuality how did you get to be a good listener oh. <laughs> in part training so i've done and those men's group experience talk, talking stick you know it's great when you're forced to sit and listen then you listen and listening and hearing is slightly different and active listening is different to listening. This may be a tangent, but I've done been involved in a thing called Vision Quest for quite a long time. So I've done participated in four Vision Quests myself, which involves sitting for four days on your own in a small circle with a fire. And just the only task is to put wood on the fire for four days and be awake for four days and not eat or sleep or drink for four days listening to the fire or being with the fire or being present or being patient or not doing anything I'm quite used to 
That's incredible. Yeah, as a tangent, let's not go there. No, no, I'm not going. How would you do? (laughs) Just shelve that one for a second. Okay, okay, good. No, we can talk about it, but I think you're on a different thread. Yes. Listening. Yeah. So that's, they're the talk therapy kind of things that I do where everyone has their clothes on, no one's touching anyone, and we're talking about relational matters, generally. Sexological body work, sex bod is more new, a bit unconventional or quite unconventional so myself as practitioner i always have my clothes on the participant or participants will often be clothing optional so they may have their clothes on they may have some clothes on or be naked they might be on a massage table and i might be touching them so the beginning of that that work and those sessions we sit on the couch clothed and we talk about why they're here and what they need we have what i call creative collaboration to figure out what's going to happen in the session consent and boundaries is really big so we talk about where do you want to be touched where do you not want to be touched how do you want to be touched learning to say no and learning like there's a lot lot, lot, lot in making sure it's safe for the person and they're they're having the experience they want to have and it's very um, methodical and thorough and then yeah so that is more is about learning sometimes it could be about healing and growth and it's the sort of things people come in, they're, they're wanting to know about their anatomy and pleasure. So Because they, haven't, they don't experience it enough or they want it more? Every sort of thing. I've worked from 18-year-olds to 70-year-olds. So people in all parts of their life journey. Like the 18-year-old person just did not know what their anatomy looked like. And they're a female assigned at birth and they're on the table and they were naked. And I had a head torch and a mirror and I put the torch on their genitals and I had the mirror and they could see. And they had a really close, very thorough look at their own vulva. And we did a thing called anatomical mapping. So it's like pointing at each bit and saying, what is this? And in the company of a person myself who knows a lot about anatomy, they said, wow, I didn't, I didn't know where my urethra was. You know, they'd never seen their own urethra before. For male-identified people, it's a bit easier. It's the end of your penis. But for female people, they may never have seen that. And then we'd a lot of talk about clitoris. And and then there's a thing called pleasure mapping. I'm very passionate about sex bod, so I could talk at length about sex bod. Why sex? Why human anatomy? Yes. I've always been a really sexual person. Like, the majority of my life from teenage, you know, puberty to... Now, <laughs> I've wanted to have sex. I wanted to talk about sex. I wanted to learn about sex. It's been my constant in- field of interest with relationships. And the marriage, there was a big libido difference. And I had within me an inferno. Like I just had this blazing, unsatiable desire to have sex and intimacy. And I had to learn how to manage that and how to work with that and then i eventually got some strategies to do that and i thought ah this would be good to support some other people i was i fell down the well a few times and people pulled me out and i was like oh i I could do that for some others and and how did you when you say you learned you read you watched you talked to people yes yes and yes yeah so it was about four or so years ago i was already doing counseling and i thought i'm really into counseling and i'm really into sex I wonder if there's a thing that brings them together and there's sex therapy. 
So a lot of people don't know what it is. I say I've never heard of it. Yeah. Till I came to your website. Yeah. I'd never. Yeah. And a lot of people think that it's having sex with people or something. I'm not, it's like, you know what sex is? You know what therapy is? Sex therapy is therapy about Yeah, I kind of get, I kind of would get that. I wouldn't yeah. be thinking yeah. what you said, but I, yeah. I, I'd kind of join those dots. But then, okay, what do we talk about? But I get that sort sex. of specific. <laughs> and yeah. But relationships... And, yeah, but does relation? How much does I get? Some education, like I'm a sex educator, because uh, I have a I have a education background. So for some people, it's just sitting and learning. Even just this notion of separating intimacy and sex. Most people think they're the same thing, and sometimes, often men, if we're going to gender this, think they want sex when they actually want intimacy. Chew on that one. <laughs> but that, that's that's a that's a tricky one because no one no one educates us really about sex and not much about intimacy and sometimes men say i want to fuck but what they really want is i want you to hold me i want to be intimate i want to be close to you i want to feel you i want to be loved by you i want to have affection and does this go back to the stereotype even though you said to me you don't want to clip mm, okay. where society tells you or you're told as a man that it's have sex when actually it's okay to just want to be with uh, another person and be intimate and not yeah. have to have sex. Yeah, yeah. Whereas women may be the other way. They're told that, you know, sex is not okay. Not, you know, not allowed to enjoy this or have this or be promiscuous or slutty or whatever. And there's a more uh, training towards a kind of intimacy sort of style of engaging. And there's more women now who are finding they can say, I want to fuck. I really want to be mm-hmm. fucked and fuck. And this, I'm, I'm slutty, I'm promiscuous, this is all good, I got this. I'm having casual sex and it's fun and good for me. And why do you think, because I'm, I'm aware of that, even though I don't know how I am aware of that. Why is that where women just very open about, well, yeah, why not? I, feminism started around the 70s, you know, and I think at that time, the sexual revolution happened at the same time and some women started getting that they could have the same experience as men were having and sex was on the menu and that's just grown and there have been some great pioneers of that, like Betty Dodson, I'm not sure if you've heard of her, she's no. an American woman who went around America with these amazing vibrators and having circles of women come together and self-pleasuring in front of each other. Wow. Like quite radical and empowering. This is like the 80s, I think. And yeah, lots of women who are now standing proud and just saying, this is good, this is fine, this is good for us, we can do this. I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah. And same for men, you know. And, And coming back to your, you know, how do we open... It's great for a man to say, I just want to be held. Can you hold me? I think, you know, this notion, I think that my dick wants to have friction sex can actually be my whole body can have an experience of touch that is arousing, pleasing and not orgasmic, not ejaculatory, but still intimate. I bet most men wouldn't have a clue. I I, I get what you're saying, but Mm. I don't know who's listening to this, but they'll be like, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. So it requires a sensitivity. It requires a familiarity with your own pleasure, arousal, desire, anatomy, orgasmic states, erotic roadmap. Like, there's a lot 
consciousness that's required of a self to then have an experience with another where you can articulate, I want to be intimate with you, it may not involve our junk or nudity or anything, I want to connect. Which is where, you know, the kind of the sacred sacred sexuality part that I'm also interested in is like Tantra and Taoist and Celtic notions of sexuality. Oh, is this too tangential? Are we no, just, no, go on. No, no, I'm interested. I feel like we've flown out anyway. No, no. Where... There's no pattern here. <laughs> okay, good. Western sexuality is very much kiss, get naked, have oral sex, have penis in vagina intercourse orgasm ejaculate go to sleep and there's a lot of other i'll call it schools of thought or practice of sexuality that are way different to that that are about so you know tantra is often suggested as being about merging souls through pleasure and sensation and intimacy and sex so we can actually have a divine sacred spiritual experience by being aroused good because i wouldn't but I, I didn't i don't know this right and i'm learning about african sexuality which isn't talked about at all in the west yeah okay so but why okay so i think the point i'm trying to get is mm. as you're talking is good why aren't why are we again the same thing society takes us down this path you've got to get married or you've got to uh, buy a house you've got to have a car got to, i understand a lot of this you you have sex. It's it's phys- you know you physically have sex. It's what it's what you just said. As opposed to, there's this all this other stuff. You can't no one can see my right hand out <laughs> to my right side. Going there's all this stuff over here. Are we all so lazy that we're just told that that's what you should do as opposed to all this? Because I don't. I'm not saying I'm so open, but I don't know. I mean, I've heard of some of the things you're talking about, but a lot of it not. And yet, I think it, it could be much better for me. We're a product of history. So our ancestors, like, um, genetically or culturally, go back through Europe, go back to Greece. And, you know, like, Cartesian dualism, like a notion that our mind and body are separate. Um, The church, and, like, there's so many elements. Capitalism, consumerism, um, monogamy, like... Why are these things? I don't know why they're these, you know, patriarchy. Why is this thing? We've just ended up in this weird place where we think that this civilization is amazing. It's probably really fucked up. I mean, you look at suicide and obviously, drug. most people are unhappy. I don't yes. know. Yeah. yeah really... So, and are Eastern or African cultures better? Are indigenous cultures better? I don't know. We can learn from each other. Yeah, like I was saying, learning about in Africa, there were sex schools. There still are in some African countries where they're teaching young people how to be intimate with each other. Wow. And not just what I learned at high school, which is some weird kind of biological reproductive thing where don't get pregnant, don't get STIs. It's like, how do you pleasure each other? How do you pleasure yourself? This is not discussed in sex ed in the West in schools. I want to be a circuit breaker, you know, I want my kids to know that sex can be good and pleasurable and fun and healthy. Do you have those conversations with your 16, with both your kids or? I want to, they're a bit more squeamish about it than I am, but they know, 
my profession. They know my values, my philosophy. They don't talk about their own sexualities with me. And I don't talk about... I talk a little about mine with them to be a model. I don't tell them what I do with who. But I'm pretty... As open as I think is appropriate with them. And they know that I'm open if there's some point they want to come to me and talk. How much of your work is... The logical body. Yeah. Compared to the relationship versus sex therapy. Not as much as like... Like, people don't want to do therapy. Just general therapy. And some people come for therapy. Like, there was a person sitting here today. Some people want to do sex sex therapy. A smaller group who kind of get what that thing is. Yeah. And then a smaller, smaller group of people have heard of sex bod, can comprehend what it is, and have the courage to show up to that. That's vast. I mean, I still participate in sessions... In sex pod sessions, and it scares the shit out of me. It's terrifying. I have to be naked on a table, and you're going to touch me, and I have to be so vulnerable, and look at all my fears and my shame and my pleasure and my desires. And but then, okay, so when you go, when give an example of, like, why would you have gone? It started with healing. So I've had a more a dozen or so sessions with a person. I had probably the closest thing as I would call a miracle. Of healing and I don't use that word much but a thing that I a condition that I thought I would have for the rest of my life I don't have and it's a result of that work yeah wow yeah which I don't get to say much of myself or others and did you know when you went in that's why you you were going specifically for that or that just came oh, as that came out of no no I knew I was going for that I went to see this person I was like I've got this problem I want you to help me with it I've had it all my life I probably have it all my life. Give it a go. And, and now, what made you think of that? Would 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 get rid of that, or do you just went, oh, well, give it a go? Why not? I like I said, you know, like multifaceted approach. Like I would approach a lot of people and say, "Can you help me with this?" But when it's a thing with your body, it's best to do body work. And if it's thing to do with your body and sexuality, it's best to do sexological mm. body work, because. Like if you had a problem with, I'm going to say erections. I don't know if you do or don't. I don't care. No, I don't. You, we, we could sit here yeah. all day and talk about it. And we could intellectualize and I could tell you smart things. Well, it would help us some degree. You can learn about your anatomy, but I could tell you about your anatomy now. Like I could tell you things you don't know about you. I could show you better with your hands or my hands on your body. And so do you, but do you get people coming to you then with that? I can't ejac- I could not ejaculate, but whatever. I can't get an erection. I can't get an erection. I get two erections. Really, is, that, is that really common then? Erections? People saying to you, oh, oh I, can't, yeah. I can't get an erection. How yeah, I... definitely. Absolutely. And then you will be able to help them mm. get an erection. Yeah. And that's clearly man on man. That person's gone. Genders and Yeah, but man. even if, okay, so let's say straight man. I know you've not, you know, they don't, they don't have an issue with. Of course they do. But, but but not enough to come here and sit there exactly. and if it's important enough for you you'll get yeah. over your yeah but I'm saying that's a big that's a big thing hmm. I think I'd be okay with that and for but some, not, most like, men wouldn't because because you identify as or they'll identify me as a man which I'm fine with now because you're a man I want to do this with you yeah. because you know about erections yeah, yeah, and yeah, I can yeah. tell people I don't always have erections when I'm intimate with someone. And yeah. I've had to process that because it's so tied into our identity. 
as what it is to be a man and masculine is erection and sex. So there are some older people I work with who may never again have an erection and have to get to a place through for surgical yeah, yeah, disease reasons yeah, yeah, yeah. or age or health, whatever. And I have to work with them to get, I will only ever have soft cock sex. And my identity is not emasculated or diminished. We have fingers and mouths yeah, and true. all sorts. Our, our pleasure is not just that tiny little bit of No, but you don't, you can't ejaculate no. if you have soft cocks. And nor is ejaculation the most Well, important. I was going to say, that's, yeah, exactly. Mm. That would be, then it goes back to what you said before. Well, there we go. I'm just feeding into that whole stereotype of, well, a man needs to ejaculate because that's where the pleasure comes from. Well, actually, yeah. that's not. No. Practices which are to train men to not ejaculate and to be able to separate orgasm and ejaculation. So they're separate things, but most men don't know that. Because I thought tantric sex was where you don't ejaculate. You don't ejaculate, but you may still have orgasm. But they're separate things. Ejaculate is something that comes out. Yes. Orgasmic is a technically like a rhythmic contraction of muscles and a, a tension release with a pleasure neurotransmitters. Because it's almost, as you say to me, even though I understand that, and I'm always aware of that, that surely the orgasm the orgasm the feeling that i have of pleasure because you can have full body orgasms you can have heart gasms you can have an orgasmic experience in all sorts of ways in all sorts of parts of your body i can identify with that but again my i'm almost not embarrassed but that's my very i just go well yeah my definition of pleasure would be sex whatever would be when they're ejaculating mm. that's where I get the orgasm that's mm. what when actually as you said that's not mm. but the journey is as wonderful as the destination yes but we're not told that we're not told how to breathe how to make sounds how to move how to be present how to regulate our mm. arousal there's no no yeah, but who would tell you that yeah there's and no, I, someone's in there going, it's yeah. like when you get drawn in to drive a car. No. And the driver's driver says, okay, so now you yeah. need to isolate with a gig car, whatever. Mm. Now you put your foot on the car, and then the yeah. brake, whatever. Yeah. That's what I do. And yeah. I often end sessions looking at, I'll look at a person and go, where else or with who else could you have this experience? No one. Like what sexological body workers do is amazing in education. Imagine if you're 18, like this woman who showed up, 18 years old. Imagine being 18 and showing up to an older person who said, I'm going to teach you about your anatomy and about pleasure. Because when I was 18, I was just like fumbling around the dark with people my age who didn't know anything. And that went on for decades. Completely. Yeah. So, so, so how did she come to you then? Another person I'm working with who's a bit older than her said, hey, you could go see Jeremy. And I think he initially she was kind of like checking, am I okay? Am I safe? And what does this work? And then I think she wants to do more work, which is more about orgasms and different kind of orgasms and pleasure and how to be intimate with herself and with others. And she has this curiosity and because she hasn't had any or just generally want... She's a bit like yeah. kind of, oh, I'm not really sure whether I... You know, I haven't had a relationship, so I want to know if when I do that... I, there's a few things. No, she's had sex with people. She was telling me that her first sex experience was really painful. I was like, oh, wow, you know, I was thinking really technical, like, medical but conditions. Isn't that quite cool, and then we realised out, we realised we need to use lube. And when you have, like, those sort of learnings, you're like, what else could I learn? 
Like, what else is not someone not telling mm, me? Yeah. But also, that means also that the person they're with, like, it takes about 45 minutes for a woman, kind of average-ish amount of time, to be fully aroused. And most sex happens in, like, five minutes. Yeah. So if she doesn't know until someone tells her, hang on, let's do 45 minutes to an hour of foreplay so you're fully engorged and lubricated and turned on and wanting for intercourse or pleasure yeah. or whatever. I don't think it was that long. Is it that long? Not always because that's too Whatever. Work. Some people are just like, yeah, yeah, some, you know, they're yeah. just ready to go and some a lot But generally it's that yeah. long. And I think for men, because men's arousal tends to like spike like that. Yeah. If you're with someone who's doing this, if you can match that slowness, then people who are premature ejaculators, instead of doing that, if you can match a person with a slower build of arousal, then the man can have longer, less spiky pleasure. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're, you're taught how to manage that. Yeah. But you're right. So think of how much stigma is attached around premature ejaculation or not being able to get an erection all other kinds of when actually what you've just said is okay you have this issue or this challenge or whatever words you want to use to describe it but here's a way to help you mm. deal with that or be able to mm. but the premature and, not, ejaculation and not feel like you could get really down and depressed and oh, people stop having sex with their partners you know they're sexless marriages because the men just and their, their wife their hetero just can't handle it and just go, let's not do this, it's too hard. And they just stop having sex. And I've met couples who haven't had sex in 10 years. Separate bedroom, still married, parenting, whatever. I can't imagine that though. But I, yeah, Common, I can, especially yeah. in your home country. Really? Hmm. Why more so in England? Apart from they're quite repressed. Uh, yeah, repressed, stiff upper lip, businesses, you know, the shame of divorce or the shame of having to go to someone and talk about your sexuality. Shame, shame, shame. So, you know, the men may go see sex workers or professional dominatrixes and do whatever they in secret. Less so here, then? I, I couldn't statistically tell no, you, but, but I've met pure... sex workers and pro-doms in, in England who tell me that they, that, that they meet a lot of people who have sexist marriages. I'm saying, wow, change I'm is scary, so you know, to me. end a relationship is scary. Premature ejaculation, it's really common. And it's psychological, so it's a partially about the kind of sex, you know, like doing certain sex acts, so penetrative sex is friction and is very stimulating, especially if you try and do it like in porn with like really frenzied sort of in and out stuff. But it's also psychological, like some people will just ejaculate if they see their partner's breasts or vulva or see them naked. So it's like, the excitement, which is a psychological thing, not even a touch thing. And so for them, I don't know if this is going too technical, but in SexBide they talk about a thing called core erotic theme, which is like your blueprint. So if you know the things that turn you on, which is unconscious for most people, but if it turns into your conscious, then you can either go toward or away from that to regulate your arousal. Yeah, but interesting enough, that goes back in a completely different way to what you said before about when we were talking about the little the little child and the adult. Yeah. We're having that consciousness, that, as you said, the ability just to stop, sit with it. Hmm. Like you said, you're attracted to people who are able to have that ability hmm. to go, 
okay, this is how I feel. Mm. I'm going to process how I feel. I'm not going to respond mm. like a child and throw my toys out the pram. And mm. It's a pause. It's an awareness. I hate to say mindfulness, but it's mindfulness. I don't like that expression, but it's... It's, it's a real skill. Yeah, because we're just like, go, quick, say, speak, do, act, impulse, response, react. We don't need to. We can actually just stop for a second mm. and just go, hmm, I wonder. And same in intimacy. You know, if you're having sex with someone, you can stop and just go, how's this for me? How's this for you? Should we do something different? But most people think that they can telepathically communicate what they want and what they don't want to the other person and that sex is some secret, silent, magical thing that everyone knows how to do. And Yeah, but then don't you think he's just saying that? I agree with that completely. But also, particularly... Again, going back to the man, think that as a male that you that would that would diminish your mm. masculinity to say yeah. I don't. Oh, do you? Should we? Are you happy? Or can we? Mm. What do you mean? Of course, so you I, should know what you're doing. You. So I have a lover now, and I say to her, "How would you like me to pleasure your genitals?" and She's really reluctant to tell me because she said lovers in the past when she's tried to guide them of oral sex, they've been hurt or angry because of their ego. Mm, I, don't, I don't know why I'm giving you that face, but of course that's what it comes down to. Because masculinity yeah. like, how dare you tell me how to do a thing I don't know how to do? But of course you don't know how to do the thing with that customized person and pleasure them in their idiosyncratic personal little snowflake way of how they'd like to be pleasured so of course we should ask like if i invite you around for dinner i hate the food analogy but i'll say what do you like to eat and what don't you like to eat and if i serve you some food i'll be like do you like that do you want salt with that would you like some sauce that was a good analogy because of course you'd ask someone that Hmm. because you you want to know what they want Hmm. so it's the same thing with sex most people do it in silence yeah and hope that you're kind of doing the right and also if you're a man by definition you're not again going back to that you're not a woman so how do you know what a woman wants mm. even just in general terms forget mm. the as you quite rightly pointed out well not every woman is the same clearly mm. so what they that particular person wants you're with is going to be different from the next woman that seems great yeah in sex and anything but people like you say I think that's men and heterosexual or whatever they wouldn't ask no typically I'm not saying but no one really does my lovers get a whole lot of asking and a whole lot of offers and a whole lot of an inquiry before during and after it's a conversation intimacy yeah but that must be to the benefit of both of your experiences of that which anyone you've got to think with a logical with a brain would go yeah of course if i ask a question i'm going to get an answer which will help me then to Hmm. Make an informed decision. Some people don't know the answers. Yeah, true. And that that's okay too. Hmm. But at least you've asked. Yeah. It's the other person who's you're asking the question to would appreciate that. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Wow. Good conversation. Good conversation. Good conversation. <laughs> so much to be said. But I reckon I learned. Like I have a master's in sexual health and the sexological bodywork qualification. The majority of what I learned about sex therapy, relationship counselling. And sexuality came from podcasts. I listened to thousands of hours of podcasts. Because I used to, when I was in WA in the desert, I'd just listen to them all day. I used to live in Hillsville and I used to commute to Melbourne three hours a day. I'd listen to three hours of podcasts. 
and so yeah i because amazing thing about podcasts they're immediate like a book like i'm writing a book it's been a three-year project by the time it's printed it'll not be out of date but what you mean it's it's not as instant no but a podcast is like it's today it's the zeitgeist it's what's happening immediately i think that's a good place to start yeah sure thank you for listening to more real i truly hope you've enjoyed the experience and that you will continue to be here to explore real life with me if you have please tell anyone you know about more real i love creating a space for real conversations so if you know anyone who would want to be on this podcast please email me at morereal1, one is spelt O-N-E, at gmail.com. Once again, morereal1 at gmail.com. I'm very grateful, as always, for your support.